Doreen and I just went to take a walk on the boardwalk last week with some of the folks from our church. You know, nice thing to do, get exercise and fun and everything. And you know, I only got so much exercise, and you'll never believe it. My walk took me right to the cold Coors ice cream. That's, that's where the end of my journey was, you know. And I got a Coors Brother ice cream cone. So I'm laughing, and we were telling stories about family and things like that, and just, just laughing. And one of those uh, killer seagulls <laughs> took a swoop. First time it's ever happened to me. I, I guess because I was laughing, I had it out here. Man, that baby dive-bombed me. Ran right in my hand, knew what it was doing, knocked the ice cream down, 30 seagulls, landed on it, and within 30 seconds, it was completely gone. I didn't know how much carnality was left in my soul <laughs> after being a Christian till that seagull did that and dive-bombed me, you know. I tell you, I just wanted to set him up. You know, I didn't want to hear about owls or falcons or anything like that. I just wanted to go get me some crabby fries and hold it out like this. And when he came, bam, you know. <laughs> and then I found out they're paying $2,100 a day for people with birds to get them out of there. So you know what I want to do, Trinity? Even though I'm being recorded, Pete is certainly on its way to get me. <laughs> I just think we ought to, you know, to raise some mission money, go, go have a seagull swat, you know, and the bait. <laughs> The bait can be, and if you can, we could get, think, $2,100 a day, that's 10000 bucks a week. Huh? Everybody that likes my plan, come to the altar right now. We'll, no. <laughs> now that reminds me, though, that there are things that happen in life that really can frustrate the daylights out of us, you know? And, uh, you know... It can generate enough anger where, you know, you could be ready to roll a seagull, but what if a person's on the other end? And that's where the frustration's coming from. You know that a man who is a great man in the Methodist church, as a matter of fact, uh, his father was given the award for being the most prominent Methodist missionary of the 20th century. The man I'm talking about is Dr. David Siemens. And he noticed that on the mission field, the mission field couldn't, couldn't get as great as it could be until the missionaries could get along with one another, and they didn't. They weren't getting along with one another. And then he came back to the local church and tried being a pastor. And he was a renowned pastor. Several of us had him together. Pastor Glenn had him as a pastor. I had him as a pastor. He married my brother Doug and his, and his wife as a pastor. But he noticed as a pastor, there was a category that rarely got spoken about in the church that was a real challenge to daily life as a Christian. Now, the category we're talking about isn't sin. Sin is a willful rebellion against God. When we know what we're supposed to do, but we rebel and we don't do it, that's sin. Sin is a volitional choice to disobey God. But that's not what we're talking about. That's not the category I'm addressing. It's not sin. On the other hand, it's not necessarily uh, sickness either, you know. It's, uh, it's something in the gap that needs addressed. David Seaman says the biblical word for what's in that gap between sin 
and sickness, the Bible calls infirmity. John Wesley wrote a lot about infirmities. Now we're doing a series called God, Our Helper, God, Our Healer. And that was an incredible scripture that was read today from Romans chapter 8 that Deb read. And it says that the Spirit helps our infirmities. But you know what I'm finding out more and more? If we don't talk about it, if we don't teach about what it is, how in the world do we know even to ask for the Spirit's help? And listen, this is a big, big deal, what I'm talking about. They did it in a, a real uh, test in that grove of trees, the giant sequoias. And uh, one of them that already had fallen to the ground, they, they sawed and they began to look. And you know where they looked? And we have, probably have some scientists here. Yeah, in the rings of the trees. You know they can analyze. Scientists have an exact science. They can analyze and tell you what happened in the life of a tree. Hundreds of years old by examining the rings. They could see that during one time of this tree's life, there had been a fire. You could see it in the ring. Another time, severe drought where... where the tree actually, uh, you know, was using and feeding off of itself to get, uh, to get moisture. They could see that in the ring. The ring represented the years of the life of a giant sequoia. Do you know something? There's this category in people called emotions. The rings of your life and human beings are emotions and emotional responses. They're things that nobody can control. It really is frustrating when the context around you is beyond your control, isn't it? Well, yes, it is. Yes. Thank you, Ron, for making that point. You're welcome. That, that is so very important that you can acknowledge that we, we lose control. We don't control what goes on around us. You know, so we come and we pray. And in the secret silent prayer, we're saying, Lord, you can help my boss. Things will get better at work. And Lord, if you can help my kids, maybe I can have a, a retirement. And Lord, if you can uh, help my parents, you know, maybe we could have a young marriage and we can raise our kids without all, the all these things we pray for. But here's one thing we don't do. None of us can control the context around us. Today, we prayed in, in one of our early services for a life and death situation. We, we prayed for her friend that could be in a life and death situation. There are people in our congregation, precious people, really battling cancer, terminal cancer. And uh, we, we agonize with them. And one reason why we agonize is nobody can control it. And yet, it's those things rooted deep in our emotions that we are left to react to 
that impact our lives and shape who we are. And, uh, you know, the rings of trees, you're dealing with forest fires and, and whether there was enough rain, everything lies embedded in the heart of the rings of a tree. But in the rings of your life, in the rings of, of my life, we find embedded in our emotion things that deeply affect us and we never get a chance to deal with them. We don't preach. We don't teach about these are the things that significantly impact your personality and your Christian life. These things affect our concepts, the way we conceptualize things. They affect our feelings. They affect our relationships, even the way we look at God. And listen, the fact that it happens in godly circles is best illustrated just by the amount of people that are given up. I, I, I just look at clergy and see them because when we go to our conferences, we, we see the challenge of our profession. 15,000 clergy a year in the United States of America given up, checking out, leaving the ministry. 75,000 ministers every five years are leaving the profession of the ministry. You know why? Because they, they can't hold it all together because of what they're responsible to. So we went on a youth trip while you all were in Mexico because you already had a trip going and we multiplied the amount of things and you're supposed to have a counselor, you know, for like every six to have safe sanctuary, things like that, every six for a mission trip. Well, so I'm thinking, holy cow, we get a helper for every six kids in the mission field and then they give me a congregation of 500 people. And so we hire Scott. Yippee, it went from one to six to one for every 250. And when that doesn't go well or easily, the people check out. Now let's, let's erase my profession and let's make it right down where you are. It could be you work at a university. It could be you work for the state. It could be you work in any number of professions, but... Uh, the caregiving, the responsibility that you have, you can't take care of all of the needs in your vocation, and yet the pressure is on you. The buck can stop on your shoulders, but we say, Lord, how can we mount up with wings like eagles when I got to work with these turkeys? We can't control it. And the answer is, no, you can't. You can't control any of those things. We need to understand that this is called infirmity. The things that impact who we are and who we are, that's infirmity. You know what happens to us when all of these things bat us around and we can't control them and we get angry or we get upset or we get hurtful or vindictive? Any of these things, whatever the emotional response is, it leaves these four realities in our hearts, in our personalities. These are what the psychologists are telling us. We wind up with a deep sense of unworthiness because there are challenges that we met that we, we can't control, and therefore we get defeated by them. Have you ever been defeated by anything? It is not fun. 
It is not fun. I was talking to a guy yesterday about the time I spent, you know, uh, with the Cleveland Browns organization, you know, working in the, the spiritual life. And I said, man, they should have got Billy Graham because they were 0 and 15 while I was working with them, you know. <laughs> you know what it's like to work with people who are 0 and 15 and are being paid millions of dollars? It is a tense, tense situation. We develop a deep sense of unworthiness. Or abusers abuse, Freud tells us, and we get a we get a perfectionist complex. In other words, we look at things that we couldn't do, but we expect everyone else to do them for us. Everyone around us better rise up to this, this measure, and we get all perfectionist about it, and we're not happy because this wasn't done right, and that wasn't done right, and blah, 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 blah. And it's tense. You ever been the victim of a perfectionist that's trying to talk you and walk you through the things you ought to be doing? I mean, it just even makes a preacher want to walk so far and then say, excuse me, I have to get this two by four. <laughs> right? Nobody likes a taskmaster like that. They couldn't hold up to it. Or we get super sensitive. So super sensitive that we can't even talk anymore about objectives and goals and standards to raise the standards so we can live together. Or we get fears. We're, we're afraid to try anymore because life is hard and it's defeated us. That's the evidence that we live with infirmity. Unworthiness, perfectionism, supersensitivity, fears. How do we surrender? Well, the whole, the whole thrust of these messages lie in this reality. God wants to be our helper. Jesus said, I'm going to send you another helper. You can't control those things, but God control, controls those things. And the Bible says in Romans 8 that in the midst of these things, the Holy Spirit helps our infirmities. The Holy Spirit wants to help today your infirmities. You don't have to run. You don't have to grovel and feel unworthy. You don't have to feel like you're never going to be perfect enough to interrelate with God. You don't have to be afraid of Him. I loved it when we came back from men's retreat and, and we started singing that chorus, you know, it may be that I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. That's the way I fight my battles. It may be that I'm surrounded with infirmities. It may be I live in a job that I can't control. It may be that there are things in my house that are out of control. And therefore, it may be there are things in my heart and in my head that are out of control. It may be that we're surrounded. But brothers and sisters, today, you're also surrounded by a God who says, with men, things are impossible. But with 
God. How many? Just say that one more time. Amen. Amen. I just wanted to put that in so that when I say all, all. Oh, wow. I'm surrounded. I'm surrounded. Maybe that I'm surrounded. But spiritually, deep in our heart, one great source of trust for you today is you're surrounded by the God who helps you in these infirmities. Amen. Yeah. Amen, God. Hallelujah, God. Thank you, Jesus. We are surrounded by a God who wants to help us in our infirmities. But we never even necessarily brought the topic up before publicly. So how do we surrender? Dr. Siemens has six ways you and I can ask the Holy Spirit this day to give us his help to be the people of God and to set us free from the emotional tyranny of all of the collateral damage the infirmities have left with us. Not sin, not sickness, just the stuff of life. How do we surrender? Number one, we face the reality that we now have an emotional problem. It's not in the actions, it's in our reactions. We, we have a disposition that gets to be badly traumatized and we don't react well. So one, face the problem squarely. Acknowledge to God that there are things that we're not doing well. In other words, if I were saying it to myself, looking in the mirror, Ron, you've got to be honest with God and ask him to genuinely help you. Now put your name in and talk to the person in the mirror. Number two, accept your responsibility in the matter. Number three, ask yourself if you want to be healed. Remember when Jesus went up to the cripple alongside of the pool? Guy had been crippled and, and he was calling out to Jesus for help. So Jesus comes to him and Jesus asks him this question. What do you want me to do for you? You see, Jesus wasn't so sure that the guy had just been used to being the way he was and maybe he, he wanted to have the right to complain or to drop out of life, or to do any other thing. A lot of us want to drop out of life, don't we? When the things just get us crippled up. So Jesus wanted to be real with this guy. We're not talking about a phony religion. We're talking about what is the real need here? What is really going on here? And Jesus said, what do you want? He said, I want to be healed. And so the man was placed in the water, and he was healed. Ask yourself if you want to be healed. Number four, forgive everyone involved in your problem. You've got to forgive them in your heart. You have to forgive them in your heart. Because if you don't, hatred is going to grow up roots of bitterness in you. Ask God if he'll help you forgive everybody involved in your problem. Number five, forgive yourself. There are a lot of people in our three services today 
that are really facing the trauma of infirmity because they won't and they can't forgive themselves. Forgive yourself and ask the Holy Spirit to heal you. And then finally, ask the Holy Spirit, this is number six, ask the Holy Spirit to show you your real problem because there are problems underneath the problems. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you get honest and show you your real problem and then the Holy Spirit will help you because we can't help ourselves. Do you know what Romans 8 says? It says the Spirit helps us because we don't know how to pray for these things. But you don't have to be afraid. Lift up your head, Trinity. You don't have to be afraid. God is coming to help you. Jesus said the Spirit heals our infirmities. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now just before the band plays, I want you to think of this phrase that you've seen on TV. Help. I've fallen in what? And do you know what, brothers and sisters? That's what infirmities do. They keep you from getting up. But as the band plays, I want you to hear the words of the Spirit. You can't, but I can. I am the God who heals you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand as our band plays.